Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host and site co-administrator and uh, community guy who posts things on Facebook and Twitter, Corporal Hicks, aka Aaron Percival, and joining me are usual partners in crime, Bridgetop aka Adam Zeller. Hey everyone. And Xenomorphin, who also goes by Eric Adams. This would be me. And together with a with a normal trio of, of hosts for these um, for the podcasts and for the roundtables. Is it really a round table if it's just three of us? Pyramid table. It's, it's a small bad. small round table, like a bar table. But yeah, so welcome to episode seventy eight. And this is gonna be our last episode of two thousand and eighteen. Unless somehow next week is it next week? When the video game awards happen, as of um, as of recording, there's some big announcement regarding Alien Blackout, and then we might end up doing another one. Emergency podcast. Exactly. When did that happen to us? Oh, Alien um, Covenant. The trailer. Yeah, the Covenant trailer came out in December of 2016, right? And I th- and I think the announcement of the film in the first place. I think that that was a random extra one. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's planned as our last one of 2018. And we are going to be talking the original Alien vs. Aliens, sorry, vs. Predator comic. Ridgetop was actually just asking me why. Why are we doing this? And it's a very simple reason. The website is Aliens vs. Predator Galaxy. And we don't talk Aliens vs. Predator uh, very much. And that's because, you know, the, the amount of media and amount of releases that come out for the crossover is a lot less than the other two. I mean, you look at the comics, at least the, the Omnibus comics, and Aliens has got six volumes predators got four and then um avp has two yeah although they have enough material that they could do a third one if they ever wanted to do an omnibus again at this point yeah i'm sure but yeah so we don't really get a chance to talk the crossover much especially the last couple of years because it's been you know the focus has been on the uh, aliens covenant Uh, this year the focus has been on uh, the predator although i suppose we haven't done any many specialist ones covering the predator but the last few months we've had a couple of interviews and breakdowns and stuff like that but i do like to just go out the year talking avp and we're going for the comic the original comic this time the one that started it all so a little backstory i guess before we actually crack on because i i think this is hilarious the idea for the comic was born of a meeting where dark horse was trying to come up with crossover concepts between their properties and dc and because dc had recently been in touch about doing doing some crossover stuff and of course, Dark Horse would, you know, you've got crossovers with Batman and Superman. I think that's it, isn't it? Batman and Superman in regards to DC. Wait, wait, are you talking about the Alien crossovers? And the Predator ones, yeah. No, there was a Green Lantern versus Aliens comic. Who has the rights for Vampirella? Because that was a recent one. It's IDW, I think. Uh... I think. Um, but yeah, there's been loads of crossovers, and, and they did eventually cross over with DC. But this uh, during a break, Chris Warner, who is a name that people who were into the comics should recognise, you know, he's written, edited, and drawn so, so many Alien and Predator series, as he, in fact, I believe, wrote the first Predator um, run. You know, the one that Predator 2 aped quite a lot of. And in a break, he was doing thinking where many, many men do their best thinking on the loo. <laughs> and uh, the notion of aliens and predators fighting were conceived. I find that hilarious because I, I do a lot of thinking on the low. But for those that hate the concept, I think we'll also find it hilarious that AVP was conceived of there. So, you know, it works either way. Warner comes back to the table and just says alien versus predator within 20 minutes. Mike Richardson, who I believe was Dark Horse's um, 
the the owner, the boss, the, the publisher was on the phone to Fox, and the project was was a go. You know, it went that easy, went that quick, and they cracked on. And you know what? I didn't like it originally. <gasps> the original AVP comic you didn't like? When when I first read it, I did not like it. Heretic. I know. <laughs> I came into AVP as a crossover with the games, with Rebellion's Classic and with uh, Monolith's AVP 2. Oh, yeah, because you're a young whippersnapper. I am a young whippersnapper. <laughs> this was 89, wasn't it, the meeting? So how old would you have been in 89? I would have been zero. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, that's why. I, I would have been too, so I'm pretty young. I was born in October of 89. The singles were released in 1990, and then the trade was 1991, I do believe. But yeah, so so my first experience with them was, was through the comics. I didn't read, it uh, was through the game, sorry. I didn't read AVP, the comic, until I was 13, 14. It's about the same for me. I uh, my introduction to AVP though was the the Kenner toys. I just remember seeing the predators next to the aliens, and it was like the ultimate alien hunter. And I was like, "Well, what's this? Is this related to Alien?" And then eventually, I came across the games, like the old Capcom side-scrolling arcade, and then I found the comics in in like my teen years. I even read the War book before I read the comic, if I remember rightly. My best mate in school, he knew his mum's credit card details, so he used to order stuff off Amazon. <laughs> I remember one weekend he ordered the original comic and he ordered AVP uh, novelization because I think he got into Aliens through me. We, I remember spending nights watching uh, the Legacy box set um, at his house. you got a lot to answer for, Biggs. Mm, he sat there reading the comic. I'm blitzing through the novelization, you know, that's a sequel to the to the original and a sequel to Berserker, not quite knowing what's really going off. <laughs> and then when it was finally my turn to read the comic, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. And it's a superficial reason, to be honest. Um, and it's mostly because I really dislike the colouring in that edition. Um, so that would have been the 91 trade that you that you have seen him off him. But yeah, we'll, we'll go into more specifics later. I do like it now, I will say. I, I turned around on it. <laughs> I can't remember when I turned around on it, but I did eventually because I, I appreciate the run a lot more now. I think I, I was probably the only target demographic then because I got into this when they did the first issues of the Aliens comic over here in the UK. And I was in high school then, but you know, I, w- I was old enough to appreciate like, you know, the dramatic moments and stuff. I wasn't just into, oh, there's an alien or there's a predator. I was old enough to sort of appreciate the, you know, the downtime between the action sequences. So I guess I'm the only one amongst us who's um, this is sort of semi-aimed at, weirdly. So that would have been the the magazine that you were reading? Yeah, right? yeah, the, the old... Because it, it originally got printed in black and white, I think because of the scheduling issues at the time and... As it went on, it began to get coloured. But yeah, because it was included when they did the original runs of book one and book two and the first Predator. And they put them all together as like a triple story in the comic as it was coming out. So um, yeah, it was that era, man. Yeah, that sort of blew me away because before that, it was all like, you know, Spider-Man and stuff. And I had no idea. Oh, wow. Because I thought. It was then that craze where, you know, video nasties and like, um, you know, keeper type comics. And I had no idea they did like Terminator comics and all the rest of it. And that's when they started coming out in force at that time. Yeah. Yeah, It would have been early 90s for that kind um, Mm. kind of stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do you still have the, um, the magazines? 
Um, I have a couple of them. I had to throw a lot away when I moved house back in the late 90s. And I was really sorry to see that I wanted to keep them, but I just, there were practical reasons I just couldn't. So uh. I managed to pick up an early, I think it's issue two or three, in um like a bargain basement thing. I thought, oh, I'm having that just for nostalgia reasons. There's another one I've still got. But I do have the Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection adaptations, though. So I kept on hold for those. Those can be worth something. <laughs> well, they, they've never been collected. They they only exist in, no. in singles. Mm. Yeah. Throwback then to the early 90s because you're an old, old bastard. Um. <laughs> in my day. Yeah. T- tell me what you thought back then. The the AV, I mean, because at that time it was the Dennis Bouvet art book two which sort of like well as it later became known book two um the alien story which really captured my imagination because of the incredibly cinematic lifelike art but avp was definitely the next one which really hit for me because um i'm just flipping through it now trying to get through the part i remember before i think it was issue six i bought instead of just looking at it from a friend. And it was the part where a couple of the uh, the people who, you know, the, the pilots of the starship, they, they're cocooned against a wall. And you see one of the rhino-like things getting chest-bursted. And it had some quite dark poetry narration over it. Yeah, I just found it with the queen looming over it. And that stuff, I mean, I'm looking at it now, that was quite dark thematically compared to what i was used to reading back then the, i mean you could t- it, i knew it wasn't going to be superhero stuff or whatever but i mean you know there there are skeletal remains and stuff and they're talking about the insistent pulse of body against body and it's all kind of really poetic and stuff but i mean what did hit me at the time with it and it still strikes me to this day and it's still the reason i keep coming back to it is how it's structured in a very cinematic way, just how it's written. I'm, th- I'm sure I've gone into that before, but it struck me as the right tone for me. It definitely gelled with, because I would have seen Aliens by that time, and it, it absolutely gelled with the, the tone and atmosphere of that world to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd say those are the memories I I, I really had of it. And I've, Oh, yeah, I've just flipped over the page. The other part that... um. It struck me as well that it had Machiko, the lead character, and she's having these sort of pseudo dreams of the aliens. And back then, there was that kind of thread through a number of the comic stories where humans had this sort of semi telepathic link to the alien. And I thought, oh, that's neat. That's calling back to such and such. So yeah, it's it, it just it was just the cinematic tone of it that really struck me. But it was quite especially that part of the the chest burster in the nest, it was quite dark, just just in terms of the emotions it was evoking. And oh yeah, I, the other thing I will <laughs> in terms of memory, I do remember just about all of us, um, because I went to an all boys high school. And every single time we went to do art class, whenever there was downtime, we were all trying to trace over these drawings of the aliens huh. in this. <laughs> great, because you have these nice close-ups of all this biomechanical detail on them. So I do remember a load of us were just trying to trace over it. And then I think one guy managed to do 
when you had this sequence of these aliens crawling all crawling over all over like a scaffolding tower, and he'd managed to trace over all these, but he did his own inking and colorization, and he managed to get it put in the like there was a, a corridor where everybody put where if you had like nice artwork the teachers would put it up and they someone had managed to get that put up and the te- i don't <laughs> nice. think the teachers realized it was from like a film or whatever they just thought oh like it's you know it's alien creatures or whatever but they, they didn't realize it's from you know aliens the film and it was just someone had just traced over the avp uh panels and that but that always gave me a kick and i remember like my last day at high school and i went past that and i I thought like in my mind i went yeah that's it that's the shit right there (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's it's got some fun high school memories for me but yeah it was very it's what struck me was the cinematic tone of it it was it was very refreshing to see that because usually comics they don't you know that they, they sort of some of them back then they had a way of pandering to you, but this because it was sort of aimed at teenagers and adults. It when you flip through this, it doesn't. It's not gory, but it doesn't hold back. It treats you like a mature viewer. So it was nice to be sort of like treated by like an adult by the comics themselves, sort of thing. I'd say the whole cinematic thing I think was um, was very deliberate as well in terms of um, yeah. In terms of how Radley Stradley, who wrote AVP, structured it, because I guess mm. I guess back then a lot of the, I mean, your Marvel and your DC stuff is just it goes on, it's just ongoing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they have story arcs and everything, but it still needs to yeah. be left open to keep going. Like this, you could see it. Somewhat, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said this before as well, but I, I, you can you look through the original this particular story, and virtually every panel you could, it looks almost like a storyboard you could totally imagine it being almost a completely straight adaptation into a film or cgi whatever it is and it wouldn't lose any of its power it just the way everything links to one another just the way it flows it's that's what i mean by cinematic well that is really interesting actually because phil norwood who did the interior artwork he is a concept art uh, is a storyboard oh, artist yeah wasn't he involved in Terminator 2 during this? Would have been 2 because Could have been one of two. Been, yeah. yeah I've forgotten he, about that. He also worked on on AVP the film. <laughs> Bit of fortuitousness there. Interesting, yeah. But before I just ask Ridge Top about his early impressions, I do just want to make a comment for the uh, anal nitpickers out there. So Xenomorphin mentioned issue 6. Yeah, I don't know if that's on this one, but the issue six of the Aliens comic, I don't know if, if they were collected in the same sort of way. But that's yeah. one I just want to mention. So AVP was a f- was a four-issue run in terms of normal comics. It had an issue zero, which was actually released after issue one, that collected a three-part prequel story that was published in um, Dark Horse Presents. But in, in the UK, the Aliens magazines that um, Xenomorphin and I have mentioned... Yeah. They published AVP, which included the prologue, included Zero Issue, over 11 issues of the actual magazine. That sounds about right, yeah. And there was an epilogue in another, I I don't know if it was another Dark Horse Presents, uh, but there was an epilogue as well that eventually got collected into the the trade back. But yeah, just those logistics out the way. Ridgetop, early impressions. Do you remember what you thought the first time you came across AVP the comic? So I know the first time I read it, it was as the um, the graphic novel when it was fully released in a, a paperback with that cover that's 
pretty well known among fans that has the predator slicing up the alien. And I, I really enjoyed it when, when I first read it, I, I don't know if I had seen the films at that point because I was still pretty young. I must've, I must've at least seen some of the alien films at that point. But I, I just remember really enjoying the comic and, and the whole thing felt like a movie. You know, one of my biggest problems with comic books has always I think sometimes episodic nature can work pretty well, kind of like how we talked about with Defiance. But in a lot of comic books, it just seems like they kind of endlessly go on. But yeah, this one this one had a very cinematic feel when you read it all the way through. It didn't feel like it was just passing time. It felt like it was a story and everything led to the next thing. And it concluded in a satisfying way. It felt like you were reading a movie. And uh, I thought that the setting was really interesting, too, because it was, you know, like Aliens, it was a colony. But uh, it wasn't Whaling Utani. You had this uh, this other big corporation like uh, mm. Ch- Ching USA, I think it was called, or Chingusa. Yeah, Chingusa. Chingusa. Yeah. So uh, I, I like when they explore that, like Sikhs in, in Alien Isolation, seeing these other big corporate entities that may be competing with Whaling Utani is is kind of an interesting angle. But but yeah. So and I like the the distinguishing factor of it being kind of almost like a Western feel, you know. Like yeah. it's, it's very, they're ranchers yeah, and, and it's a, difference. it's a ranching colony. So it, rather than just terraforming, cause I guess the planet is, is already habitable that they, they are raising livestock. Essentially it's, it's just like a ranching colony, like a, a very Western feel, like people have homes away from the colony where they just live in the desert and raise livestock. And, and that in and of itself made for a really interesting setting. Also, the um, the main character was interesting, too. Like people talk about how they hate their boss and people do hate uh, Machiko as their boss when the story starts. And you see her as this like cold corporate manager of this colony. And she has this evolution where she gets more involved with with the colonists and tries to be more human with them. And eventually she, you know, turns into a warrior, essentially. And, and uh, the progression, while very fast for her character didn't really feel overly jarring like i could still kind of go with it uh-huh. so yeah and i just really like the vibe and the setting and the aesthetic kind of almost had an anime feel for me like I, I think i still think this story would be very well adapted into a straight up japanese style anime film i would love to see that i would not argue with you at all that i i think as a concept avp would be quite suitable to to anime even like a, a humanless thing where it's just the aliens and the predators going at it in some stylized um, eastern kind of animation approach i think would be would be amazing yeah, agreed. But but definitely this comic is it remains to this day one of my favorites of the AVP series. I think AVP Eternal eventually topped it for me when I got around to that one. That that still is one of my favorites. Um, but this this one is up there. This one is still really good for me. The only thing, and and we've said this a million times, is that uh, the colors are are very dated. Uh, as far as the accessible releases, I think we said it all in the pre-recording rather than <laughs> the actual. He had kind of uh, compared some of the colors to the different releases. You had the original one shots, which had very kind of eighties looking coloration, a very watercolor, uh, watercolored um, sort of look to it. Yeah, and then when you had it released in in the nineties as a graphic novel, as well as later in the omnibus collection, very kind of uh, the colors were okay, but it still yeah. it looks dated. it looks retro. But uh, again, and we've brought this up multiple podcasts before, there is this book that came with the collector's edition of Rebellion's AVP in 2010. And it's a little hardback that has the first comic issue, 
as well as a little side comic that they did around the same time, Blood Time, which was that was that after? So it's it's issue zero, um, which was the prologue, which was the one that was collected from the Dark Horse Press present uh, the Dark Horse Presents comics. So that was the very first AVP comic ever. Was Blood Time? No, sorry, is is what um, what you're saying was the first issue? Sorry, um, what the the hardback starts with was what issue zero was issue zero right so the, the very comic right yeah yeah that was the very first blood time i don't know when that was published in the timeline let me just have a quick look blood time came a lot later that's what i thought i didn't think that was the prologue have, have i got us confused here so no i i think so the prologue is when you have the two pilots in the spaceship and they're talking about like darwinism and yes, stuff and you yes, see that's, the that's right that's the prologue yes but blood time came after the whole comic run yeah blood time was out in 1994 and it was just a one-off short right yes yes that's right that's what i thought okay so it collects blood time and the prologue of the avb comic and the colors were redone completely redone by i'm gonna i'm gonna brutalize his last name here i'm sorry wes dezioba dezoba no idea how to pronounce his name but the colors are incredible he's done some other comics as well i think he he worked on the three world war arc with uh the aliens comic in that arc yeah he did he did all three of the 2009 slash 2010 reboot oh he did he yeah. did the color okay so so he redoes the colors for those two comics those two old comics and they're completely modernized they look so much better uh-huh. it's the best these comics have ever looked and when i first read this i was like oh yeah they're gonna re-release the whole thing right with these new colors they never did and it's it's such a shame because i would love to see the this original classic comic uh modernized with this coloration because it's just so well done and it's hard to find these days this this little hardback release only came out with uh america so it was it was the the special edition in america that it came out with and you had to, to ebay yours right that's right yeah yeah i had to i had to get mine off of uh, the black market i completely agree with you and every time we talk AVP, the comic, we bring this up and we beg, beg for the recol- uh, recoloring to do. And I've I've said it loads of times on um, on like Radley Strandley's Facebook page and tweeted Dark Horse and stuff like that. I, I do mention it a lot to them. I have to wonder if it's just the availability of those original, um, the original line work. I really do. And because uh, Xenomorphin, didn't you say something about their decision to go for the digital colouring? Wasn't that uh, based on um, the ease ease of, of rescanning the uh, the original line work in or something? The, yeah, there's a, an article at the back of the, um, the graphic, the collected thing by um, Randy Stradley. Everyone involved generally unhappy with the fit of the blue line colouring the separations of the series during the planet. Planning of this volume is discovered that advances in computer technology would make it nearly as cost-efficient to recolor the entire story as to have new laser-scanned separations made from the existing colors. There were also nearly 40 pages of material that have never been colored. The prequel stories, the epilogue, uh, the team are in color, working from color suggestions by Phil Norwood, who have done an amazing job of coloring this, this collection with their state-of-the-art computer system. So it's in color that did the... Um, 
Yeah, it, it looks. It sounds like it was a, a financial thing. So you're talking about cost efficiency. Yeah, I completely disagree with that fantastic assessment from Randy Stradley. But yeah, I just I just wonder if <laughs> if if it's that availability of the original artwork that stopped them doing it. So well, far. didn't they announce a new hardcover release for the whole series? I could have sworn I've seen that lately, but it's not you know really come up. There was an advertisement in something. It might have been previews or one, you know, one of the special retailer magazines that they get that mentioned they were going to do one because they've redone. Well, not it wouldn't have necessarily been a redo. It might have just been a reprint because Dark Horse reprinted the Core Predator um, comic trilogy um, in fancy hardback. They reprinted the original Aliens book one, book two, and. It would have been Earth Hive originally, or Earth War originally. Yeah, Earth War, sorry. And was relabeled Female War. Yeah, the Sam Keith one. The Sam Keith one, yeah, which is awful. But yeah, they reprinted those as fancy, really nice um, hardback. So I assumed it was just going to be something like that. Yeah, it's it's a shame we haven't seen a, a re-release with new colors. I think they are releasing, um, they're doing like the essential comics now. It's the same, but in softback. Yeah. Which is cool, because for... I guess it depends how much they actually do, because they reprinted in mid-noughties to late-noughties um, all the various collected comics in the Omnibus, but they're only, what, about A3 size, so they're not um, they're not the original, um, original size comics anyway. So it'd be nice to have them in a larger format, but it would be especially nice to have AVP redone. Shall we talk AVP's artwork then? Shall we start there since that's where we're at? Mm. So, like I said, the reason I initially did not like the series was because of um, the the colouring, I guess, rather than the artwork. I always I always slag off artwork when generally it's colouring work I dislike in a lot of the 90s comics. And in this particular case, I really did not like in colours um, redo. Of course, I didn't know there was a, a different version, uh, an earlier an earlier version of um, colouring work. But yeah, in in particular, I really did not like the 91 in colour redo. I don't know when I eventually came round to it. I think it was more the story that probably brought me round to it. But I know you guys disagree with me here, but I really like the original. I really like that sort of watercolours, late 80s um, kind of look to it. I, I think there's a lot more subtle colours in it and, and varying shades of stuff. It doesn't look as washed out to me. It doesn't look as bland to me. But that's that's just me. Uh, I know you guys disagree in terms of the colour stuff. But the artwork, as in other line work and stuff like that, I do think is, is fantastic. I, you know, I think Phil Norwood... And I forget who did the inking work. I'm sorry. I think they all did really nice, um, really nice work. Um, a lot of the designs in it I quite like as well. When we talk the film, people tend to slag off um, Anderson's and ADI's Predators for the bulky armor and stuff like that. Uh, real quick, inks were Carl's story to the inks. I think there was another fellow. Oh, and Chris Warner also did did line work in in the fourth issue, I think it was, of the series. So there, there was a couple of artists changed in there, but nothing mega. So everybody, I think, did a really fantastic job. But yeah, the the bulky, the, the, the armoured Predator artwork um, design, I want to ask you what you guys thought about that. Because it, like I said, it's something that tends to get slagged off when you talk about the film. So what did you think about the the appearance of the Predators in comic? It was it was interesting. It was different than than how I had seen them presented before in, in films. But again, when I was younger, I saw a lot of the the predator toys too and they had bulky armor and so i always just it was kind of a natural like oh well they're hunting a bunch of aliens they'll need they'll need more armor for that so i i thought it was kind of cool especially how they they adorned their armor with like um 
<clears throat> Broken Tusk has the an alien face pretty much on his his chest plate, which I thought was was interesting. So I, I like the look of the Predators. Um, and again, we saw that in, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little more later, the influences to some of the screenplays and, and eventually the AVP movie, but that was kind of transferred over to the film. They had more armor than we had ever seen them in before in, in the movie. I remember liking the segmented look of it. I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure it was the design of it was done with specifically with a mind to to a greater or lesser degree, little reminders of Samurai Anna, because, um, of course, Machiko lately, and a later part of it has to, she's inadvertently saved by a predator who, you know, it's not interesting in saving her life, but it's after the aliens that are going to her. And it reminds her of um, the stories of her youth in Japan. So I'm, I'm pretty sure some of the elements of that design were deliberately evocative of samurai. I, th- I think we have to remember that this was done before even Predator 2. So the artists, when they were looking for references, all they had to go on was the first film, the the armor and stuff of that Predator. I, to me, I think this works relatively fine because it doesn't look heavy. It looks lightweight enough for them to have mobility. But I think a big part of that is due to the... Because I think what this... The artwork in this story does really well, especially with the aliens, weirdly enough, more than the Predators. But there are a lot of um, sequences where you get these really dynamic um, poses and you really get a really great feeling of inertia, even with with, um, a much later part in the story where you see the the aliens sort of whacking against doors to try and open them. But they really look as though they've done speed. They're rushing at the door and you get this feeling of inertia and gravity with them. But I think with the Predator armor, yeah, it, I think this segmentation of the armor really helps to sell it as something with mobility. Whereas in the Anderson AVP film, it looks, I don't know, it kind of looks a bit stiffer. The one thing I will say on this, I never, under, I, was, I was speaking to Ridgetop before we started recording it, and I was saying to him, I never quite understood why you have that very human-like lightning strike design on the alien faces that some of them put on the armor it looks more like a human design whereas in the anderson avp film you have that more alien looking writing to them that would have suited it better it it looks more like a superhero symbol on this apparently on going by the article i referred to earlier in the back of it that was meant to infer that they'd put pieces of the aliens themselves on the armor to help with acid resistance but I mean, looking through this again, that's the only bit of an alien body that looks like it's on the actual armor. So I'm not sure that worked. To me, that looked more like it was meant to be, I guess, a leadership leadership symbol or something. But yeah, I will say that it it does the design of the armor as a whole. It does make them look nicely covered up against like splash damage, but there are still elements of them that are exposed. So sometimes when I'm looking back in it and I'm seeing like wrist blades going through a chest burst are at really close range and it did the after it the predator's just standing there with the acid dripping off you thinking to yourself, it should have gotten over his hand or something and it didn't. But you know, as you're reading along with it, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just about it looks like it's got the best of both worlds to me. It's got that mobility, but it's got protection as well. And it's also got some nice sort of 
leathery parts and spikes on them, which helped to sell that tribal motif. And I think at the start, you referenced it earlier, there's this part where there's no actual characters being shown in dialogue but you have this narration over the first part of the story the prologue i thought you would really like this yeah man. that's something that's always stuck love that prologue how well it's done but they have a lot in there about you know these two human characters they're not aware of aliens and predators but they're talking about you know where society might head and they feel that sometimes it might be better for society to go back to the primal times and sometimes you need to face off against nature one-on-one where the odds are evened up and so I, th- I think things like that they were a deliberate design choice what, what i found interesting was again because this was before predator 2 in the early parts of the story where you see what's on board the actual predator ships and like their own rooms, they have that sort of tribal look about them. They're cleaner than we see in Predator 2. Uh, not as clean as there's like the later Star Destroyer type look, but they have a lot of like rugged leather looking things and pipes and things sticking out. And when you look at the armor that they design that they've chosen for their costumes, I think they, they've either had it evocative of their the the interiors of their spaceships that they've come up with or it's vice versa it's one of the two because the the armor looks almost like it's part of whoever designed their ships and when you see the queen aliens eggs getting toned away with specialized robotic machinery they look very much in keeping with that same sort of look that they've given the predators for their armor so i think because again, I don't know, but even like the curtains that they go through, they're all like these jagged shapes in leather and stuff. So I think they probably sort of designed the entirety of the Predator culture and then just decided, right, let's just make their costumes look like that. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds for me. It looked like they got mobility, but um, that rugged, not just armour, but they got a rugged pri- tribal armour to them, which is always nice to see with Predators. Yeah, it was interesting to see the idea of this this clan ship that a whole large group of predators. And uh, I think Machiko goes into that in a little more detail in the next comic, War, uh, because she she joins their their clan and and she has a room on the ship and she notes like the higher ranking predators have their own quarters and the other predators are just kind of like down in the the steerage pretty much i think they call it the pit yeah there's one like carving wood or something in that one that was from the script that was from peter briggs's script oh, if i remember right yeah 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 you're right yeah. in war you do have things like the the predator chefs i guess because um, <laughs> yeah. Michiko has to, to, you know, do that as one of the things when she loses um, a fight with Shorty in that one. Another thing, though, you were speaking about reference they had to work with and one noted notably absent i guess alien universe staple would be the dna reflex because we uh-huh. see all this wildlife getting infected and xenomorphs coming out of these uh what do they call them again the rinse right rhino cows pretty much yeah, yeah. rinse yeah. I, I will um, say we have to keep in mind that I th- i'm pretty sure this was done before alien 3 yes was, oh yeah, yeah it was so, i think i think that's what he's getting yeah. to, it, it, it in was, hindsight it definitely feels like a missed opportunity but i guess for licensing reasons they had to do those specific alien designs i'm guessing the concept didn't exist that i think that's the point Ridge yeah, well, in, made. Interviews it did but yeah in films it, it hadn't been realized yeah yeah. But I mean, it would be cool if, if they ever went beyond just a recoloring and decided to just actually yeah. do a re- 
yeah. of the comic, that would be a cool thing to include. Well, that, that was something in the Peter Briggs script, wasn't it? They did show all these, uh, like, lemur yes. aliens and stuff, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, it's, uh, Peter Briggs specifically mentioned other yeah. versions. I, I suppose I'd be happy with them all just being runners, to be honest, coming from um, quadrupeds. Bulky rhino things. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, no, you know, with hindsight, them not being runners or that, them just being normal aliens... Does it, does it does it annoy you, or are you, are you consciously aware that that didn't exist? Then I should not be annoyed at this. Yeah, and that's pretty much my mindset about it. I'm yeah. just like, this is right after Aliens. That concept was not really put on film yet, so they that's just where the story was at the time. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. really annoy me. Same. I mean, with that said, you get some really nice shots of the aliens in this. They and the predators, but especially the aliens, they do not skimp on any of the detail. On you get some beautiful shots of the aliens and predators actually in action yeah it's just a shame you know about some of the really horrible blue and um purples you guys didn't talk about the coloring in terms of the original or the the in color versions um do you want to say your thoughts on that since i just slagged off uh, in colors <laughs> blue and purple aliens well i never read the one shot so i just barely looked at the colors of those for the first time because you sent them to me and they they just look really dated like the that coloration looks like 80s and the one in the omnibus looks like early 90s because that's essentially what it was yeah. and um it just looks really dated uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of either of them, and I, I really just want the colors to be redone, honestly. I, I will say I think the original colors are probably my least favorite. I know you kind of like that watercolor look, but for me it just looks too... Because the line art is really great, and I think the the recolored little uh, one issue just shows how, how good the line art is and, and how much staying power it has. So I, I really think the coloration in both the original comic releases as well as the the graphic novel release in the early 90s neither one of them do the the line art justice very much a product of its time i don't have a problem with it compared to the like the dennis bouvet art i mean obviously it's not as good as that but it's definitely serviceable and i will say we've we've certainly had much worse <coughs> sam keith well yeah among others but i mean it's it's functional. I, I don't mind it. I will say I would like to give credit for this being one of the few stories aliens featuring where we actually see the queen alien and her mouth isn't constantly open. Because huh. a lot of people, they always have the alien queen and they forget in the film, you like, you know, it was protected. It had that sheath and you actually see it drawn up into the sheath in this one, which is nice to see for once. When you read through it, you're, you're really caught more by the line art. But I mean, I'd, I'd have to have a direct comparison with how it was, how it used to look. Cause I, I've got, you know, the, the recolored version. Um, you did, Hicks did show me a panel of how one of the older ones looked like. It had a, like one of the medical characters. She's got a blue lab coat on for some reason instead of white. Um, the predators got more. Um, like it's got a, a yellow mask and greenish armor, whereas in this version, like it's got all grey armor. You know, it's much of a muchness. But I'd, and again, I'd 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 need to see uh, you know more panels before I decide. Oh, that one's definitely better than this one. The one I've got, it's it. You know, I'm I'm not too bothered about the color. It, yeah, it can feel a bit flat color wise. 
you know, there are some great shots. They're like there's one where Machiko near the, the climax of it and she she's going up through the ship and you have this really nice shot of this alien in silhouette just hissing and you see it dripping saliva and then you see her shooting it with a gun and the bullets going right through its head with the acid spray. There's some really nice stuff in this, man. <laughs> there really is. So many of the panels are just phenomenal yeah they're beautiful own. and like yeah. as you say if they were redone with like creme de la creme atmospheric coloring now yeah i'm sure it'd be beautiful but even without that it, this is a, a comic you know it's not without its problems but it's a comic i keep coming back to time and time and a lot of that is to do with the story like mm. a big part of this it's like aliens not just in terms of there's a colony but a big reason of why the colony gets infected is because a, one of the ranchers gets greedy. He realizes there's, there's something wrong with his animals, but they, he doesn't want to mess with quarantine because it messes, it means he's missing out on profit. And he's not being evil. He's just being opportunistic. He doesn't realize what it's going to lead to. And it leads to one thing after another, after another, and the dominoes fall. And then you have this whole thing with the predators essentially being leaderless, but they decide, no, fuck it. We're going to kill everyone, regardless of whether they got a weapon or not. And you mix a queen in with that and you just have this one thing builds on top of another and top of another. And it's got that really nice thing where, you know, at the end, they've got to have a climax, which is everything's going out with a bang. And it's so satisfying when it does. This was also the first um, Predator versus Predator conflict we'd ever seen in yes, comics, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, it would have predated Bad Blood, yeah. Um, I, I just want to interject two, two things there, actually. First, when you, you're talking about how strong, you know, the story is, I think that carries out through pretty much most of the early early Alien and Predator stories. So earlier this week or last week, when I sat down to reread this comic for, for the podcast, you know, as prep, I read this story. Mm-hmm. And then I read the next story. And then I read the next short. And then I read the next series. And I just kept going just because of the strength of, um, of Randy Stradley's just sort of handle on AVP. And there's even little things as well that... It's a big thing now for like all the Marvel films and the Marvel universes, but there's connective tissue through those early early runs as well. So issue zero of AVP, you're introduced to Top Knot. You don't really realise it at the time, but you, yeah, you're introduced to Top Knot, who reappears in Blood Time, who is then the clan leader of this clan by war, who was introduced all the way back then, and then in... In Duel, it takes place on uh, Ryushi. You see um, uh, Machiko's empty um, cabin, because she's already buggered off with Top Knot and those guys by that point. And you're introduced to a different predator. I can't remember his nickname, but he's the one with one hand, and he's got a bandana wrapped around it. And then you see him again in war, but he has one of the Marines from that story's bandana wrapped around his arm, which is what triggers (laughs) Machiko to... um, sort of flip a shit a little bit in 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 war so there's there's lots of little it feels nice and tidy and it all moves really well and i even really like uh, three world war i know not a lot of people do actually um, but i do so it's just like a, a randy stradley's avp i think his work is really nice and it just even after all this time i just couldn't put it down i just kept going do you feel like I guess one of the story elements was kind of left hanging. Like like I mentioned before with the Predator versus Predator conflict, we see Broken Tusk, who eventually is is the, the main Predator that is the clan leader in the comic for, for most of it until they, they think he's dead and they decide to attack the humans. And the conflict comes from him 
uh, realizing that they had been hunting humans when they weren't supposed to be doing that. They were only hunting aliens. Like you see him grab a, a net of the human skulls and that's when he kills this, this other predator. And then we just kind of follow um, Machiko and, and Broken Tusk for the rest of the story. And we really have no idea what happens with the other predators fighting the aliens. Like we see one of them jump into a, a pit of aliens and, and essentially get killed after holding his own for a little bit. But I kind of was, was hoping for, like a confrontation with Broken Tusk and Top Knot, something like that, because it kind of alluded to that when they were uh, sparring in the on the ship early on in the comic. So it just seemed like there might have been a little bit of a missed opportunity there. Do you feel that way? I can't remember if it's really dealt with in the novelization, because this was this was a point I wanted to raise on what you said, Xenomorphin, as well was about them going mm-hmm. off. But I'll, I'll try and remember to address that. But in Prey, in the novelization, if I remember rightly, it has been a year or three since I reread the, the novel. But if I remember rightly, the one that Broken Tusk flips his shit on when he breaks into the med lab was the ringleader of all the youths, Tichindi, I think. So I think that's the last time you see the youths, isn't it? The unblooded in the comic is when is when they have that little scrap in the thing. No, no, because they have that stampede. I mean, that's what kills everything oh no yeah you're right sorry because and that's another thing because you have to remember this is before predator 2 um this has sort of like almost the foresight or maybe predator 2 ripped this off i don't know but you have the um you know i think it's broken tusk and he he, or she we don't know um (laughs) he's just looking out in the colony and he doesn't see anything and he switches a vision mode and you see all the you know the the other predators and just open warfare against these aliens just out in the colony and i think by that time the humans had evacuated virtually so yeah we see them at that point but that's that's for the last time that's when you see most of the predators and the well no you see the alien but yeah that's most of the other predators i guess unless just one just went off on their own or something yeah that that must have been the wrap-up moment then i guess but i I take it you found that underwhelming then ridged up yeah no i I just felt like we were kind of teased that conflict with some of the tension that was in the the sparring on the the clan ship early on and then we saw this you know all-out fight to the death with uh broken tusk and that that other young predator but uh, there was never any more to that predator conflict so if they ever did do a remake of the comic i would like to see that elaborated on a, a little bit more. And it's been a long time since I read the, the novelization, which I'm sure we'll get into here shortly. Um, so I don't know uh, other than what you said there, like how much it describes it. I think it did describe like, cause it gave us a little more insight into the, the predator's thoughts and yeah. stuff. And I think it did describe that he was planning to confront top knot about it. That, that was actually something I, I wanted to mention on, on what uh, Xenomorphin had said was that, the predators were leaderless once Broken Tusk was knocked out. I don't know when I got this. I think it might have been when I read the novel because that that wouldn't have been that long after I read the, the comic. But that was one of the things I really disliked about the series when I was reading it was all the predators going off and start killing everybody. And I didn't get on my read through that this was because their leader had been had been knocked out, basically. It's handled. It's handled in the novel very well, and that that's when I picked up on on you know oh that's why they're braving so unpredator like. But even even the singles, I I probably would have picked that up more in the singles as well because in, with each you know each issue of it, you get um, three paragraphs of summary of what's happening, what the situation is. And when I was rereading the singles um, in prep for this, 
um, as well. It's, it specifically says in there that that's what's happened. So I don't know if, if reading that through as singles or if I was just too dumb at the time when I was reading the trade to understand what was going off, if that might have improved what I thought of, of the series. I mean, totally understanding it now, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. I get what they were going for and it makes sense, completely makes sense. I would not have, have whinged about that at all. Am I that stupid? Did did you guys both pick up on that supposedly being their reckless youth without leadership? I, I got that too, but but I also got the sense that Top Knot was, was you know, kind of second in command, second in the pecking order. And so he he didn't seem like he was really one of the young bloods. He seemed like he was, you know, not... Not quite as old and and seasoned as as Broken Tusk. But. I meant I meant the rampaging in the middle of the comic when Broken Tusk gets run over with with the hover bike when the rest of them start killing all the kids and all the civ- civilians and stuff. Yeah, but Top Knot's still with them during no, the hunt. T- Top Knot's off on his own. He's on his own planet. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought he was. I was confused there. I thought he was with the the other young bloods. No, no, it was literally just Broken Tusk and um, and all the young bloods. Okay, that makes much more sense now. And what what about you, Xenomorphin? Was that anything you'd picked up on, or do you think that was just me being stupid when I read it through the first time? What the not realizing that's why they're acting like that? Yeah. Well, I th- I think when I started reading it, I didn't. You know, back in the day, I didn't. It was after the hover bike thing but it's when you see that in the story you know the hover bike thing happened and then their immediate reaction to it is to pick up the human skull crush it and just have this sort of like they're they're having their spears up in the air they're just obviously having a party yeah i mean when you that particular thing really sells it that they're like yeah that we're out for bloodlust or you could reinterpret it and again, this isn't the novel. This is just going by the comic. Because you haven't read the novel. No, no. That you could also interpret it, again, by looking at it through the, the comic, that they feel by the human doing that, the humans have declared war on them. So they're just going to like disregard the normal hunting rules. They're just like, everything is open season. Either interpretation is valid. It's, I mean, but it's basically an excuse to have them attack that farmstead thing where the poor dog dies. I don't like that part. <laughs> you know, it happy, it, it's it's nice because the sole survivor of it, the kid, and you have that thing where it should be a celebration. You know, they found Broken Tusk and, you know, we found an XT. And then the kid comes in there with this very cinematic, you know, monsters sort of thing. That really sells that moment. And it, it also helps to sell what happens later on with Hiroki because him and his team get cut off from the rest of the colony and they just get killed down to the last man with, you know, hardly any weapons or I think they improvise some weapons. And that's what helps to harden Machiko because if you look, that's, that's she, she reaches rock bottom emotionally at that point. And then it's after that, she decides she's got to go out and take charge in a semi-militaristic way, and she, you know, she punches Ackland, the guy who's the rancher, who's basically seen an unintentional fault that things have got that far. But I think that was needed to push Machiko into how she later, you know, realigned her perspective on things. And that was her Ripley moment, sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I think the Predators doing that helps the story. Yeah, and he he'd been a very sort of vital part in 
pushing her towards having a more active role anyway earlier in the story. I see. I didn't pick up on his importance until I got the the collected graphic novel thing, so I could finally read it from the start. When you read it from the start, yeah, he he become you understand why he's that uh, sort of a mentor to her. But it's only at the start of the story where he's basically telling her, you know, don't isolate yourself. You're never, never going to get the place to run like, you know, machines. These are people. You've got to get rinth shit between your toes, as he says. And you understand that why she, that causes her to have that about face. And it needs that because um, Rich to earlier saying it's sort 180 in her personality could have come across a little too fast, but with everything that she goes through, it becomes believable why she later has that, you know, she gets in and becomes an everyman sort of figure. But at the beginning, she is that very corporate. She's like um, Claire Deering out of Jurassic World, I suppose you could say. But she becomes, she does have that Ripley moment when Hiroki is killed and he's him and his guys are essentially defenceless. And I guess you could have the aliens do that, but if they'd have had that, it would have been, it would have weighed too heavily in the direction of the predators of the heroes, almost mm-hmm. the aliens. You need, you need those reminders that the predators are not friends. The predators are there to, they're going to make trophies out of humans if they're a valid target as well as aliens. And I think that really helped to sell that. So to me, it did, there, there was motivation for them to, for that to happen, but it wasn't unbelievable. And I think that's the difference. Once things come across unbelievable or just happening for the sake of it, it's that can go over the line, but it makes her character change believable. And it, it again, it adds to this domino effect. Again, much like it was in Alien. In Aliens, it was just like, oh, Ripley's going to go down to the planet. But it wasn't just that. They went down to the planet and then it was the fusion reactor and then it was this and then it was that. And it, it was that ticking time bomb. And you get the same with this. And the Predators no longer fighting by the rules. That's another game change, which makes the whole thing feel that much more dangerous. And that's when, you, that's why, again, you get this Predator coming in and it just literally rips open the door to the... I love that panel. Re- Revna. Yeah, the Doctor's. Yeah, I love yeah, that panel. See, Gorgeous panel. It's a really nice panel, yeah. But you have Broken Tusk, who's, you know, he's realises he's being taken care of by this woman and it's not like he wants to befriend the humans but he's just saying no this is off limits this isn't what we do and you know at that point everything's up in there you're not going to reason with the group of predators it's just this one predator who seems to be reasonable the rest are just as much as a threat so i think that that helps to add to the you know that, as I say, that dominoes feeling of the story. One thing goes wrong, one thing goes wrong, and and that's it. Everyone's and everything is out for itself, including the rent. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another thing about this. I love what how Machiko thinks outside of the box. How she uses the rent stampede, and later because they don't have a nuclear device or whatever at the beginning of the story, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a predator self-destructing, and it's not. They use a very unorthodox method of dealing with the entire situation. And when a story can do that, you have that sort of MacGyver moment. It makes you respect the character, in this case, Machiko. You respect her more for having, not the balls to do it, but but the intelligence to 
figure out right i've got no it's got that it's got that farscape sort of thing where they've got no weapons they haven't got um like a tank what can they do oh we can use this and then you realize how it happened but but you need that thing where the predators are not going to be able to be reasoned with by even probably broken tusk anymore everything is a threat I had not considered um, how unique those plot points were in terms of her handling the situation. It all plays in, one thing plays into another. I hadn't considered how different it was compared to, you know, the, the other stories and stuff. And that's a nice point that you just raised. Mm. So, yeah, thank thank you for that one, actually. I will say it was a bit strange that all the young bloods, when um, Broken Tusk was hit by that hover bike and injured, it was a bit strange that none of the young bloods were like, maybe we should check on our leader to make sure he's not dead. <laughs> so, Well, I think the explosion was like almost a mushroom. It was a big, massive explosion. But yeah, when, when you see them find Broken Tusk's body and he's like, he's not even obviously wounded. It just it does make you think in hindsight, wait a minute, didn't they just check on him or something? But maybe you could think they're just that thuggish. I don't know. The novelization I think, handles that a bit better as well because it really sets up um, some tension between, again, who I think is the one that he ends up killing in the lab is, is constantly sort of challenging his authority and using the excuse to sort of take over and do what the hell he wants. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess... Um... Yeah, so I, I'm glad the novel went went into that more, but it just felt it was a bit kind of mm, sudden yeah. in, in the, the comic, like, oh, they're off doing their own mm. thing now. That's fair enough. So let me ask you then. So Xenomorphin, you mentioned quite a lot about Michiko's sort of arc mirroring Ripley's in a way. Yes. Of late, people are very fed up i guess of knock off ripley in in the way of <laughs> lex in the avp movie in the way of uh, numi rapace in prometheus and daniels in covenant um, to the point where i personally am sick of them trying to ape on on ripley quite a lot in these films but in terms of the comic in terms of machiko and in terms of similarities to ripley how do we feel about her is, is she a knockoff ripley or is she a fantastic alternative to ripley there are similar, like as I said, there she has a Ripley moment, but she doesn't come across as being a copy of Ripley. I could see, as from the end of this particular comic, if she didn't go off with the Predators, I could have easily seen her hypothetically meeting Ripley and they in another comic, and they wouldn't have come across like, oh, you're a mirror image of me, because she had a different path to where she is. Like a lot of the stuff, like, you know, some of the story goes into Machiko's childhood, like the Japanese stuff and all that. She doesn't come across like a copy of Ripley. And because, as I said, she does certain things to make us, help us respect her, you know, how, how she ultimately becomes. She doesn't become like Wonder Woman, but she does grab the ball by the horns. That's in common with Ripley. But that's also in common with, you know, Sarah Connor out in, in Terminator 2. It's as long as you gain respect for the character as the other characters around her do, because it's not like this magic moment earlier on. She says that, yeah, I've done this one good thing by the ranchers, but it doesn't make up for the six month of hell I've put them through. She, she acknowledges her flaws and mistakes. To me, she's not another Ripley. The, the only thing she's got in common with Ripley is that she's female. She's in a, is a second in command whose superior dies, I suppose. So she 
gets promoted by circumstances into a leadership position and she can fire a gun. But there's not much in it where you can say, oh, those lines could have been spoken by Ripley and it would have, there would have been no difference. To me, Machiko is Machiko. Ripley is Ripley. They don't feel like copies of one another. There are similarities, but only in the same way as you could say there's a similarity with Sarah Connor or maybe Erin Sun out of Farscape or whatever. She, she comes across as her own character to me. She doesn't feel like now, yeah, you have Lex and blah, blah, blah. But in this film, Machiko sort of, she kind of earns the respect more than they did. Yeah, I think I think there was a distinguishable difference between the two characters. She didn't come across as a, a Ripley ripoff or anything. Mainly that Ripley was a hero because she kind of needed to be in, in the situations she was in. But Machiko eventually kind of found it desire to chase this adventure and chase the thrill of the hunt, which is why she stayed behind when the rest of the colony ev- eventually evacuated. You know, mm. she she wanted to wait for the predators to come so that she could join them. Like, I think that that sort of idea would be insane to Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. Ripley actively avoids that in aliens. She doesn't want any part of meeting them again. Whereas you're right. Michiko, it's not that Michiko is going, Oh fuck aliens are easy, but she has found what that initial narrative mentions at the start of the story. So I suppose you could say that's foreshadowing for Michiko yourself. She's found it within herself to because a part of that is she is she's felt like she's earned broken tusks respect and she wants to honor his memory in a way but you're right she stays behind in the colony she didn't have to it's sort of like she's found that primal part of herself in the same way that dutch did in predator it's it's not like it's a hunt for her but you're right she has found that in a fire and Going back to the corporate lifestyle, that's as alien to her as the aliens themselves. She's no longer a part of that world. By that point, she's more a part of where the predators come from mentally than the boardroom. Like, to, like as we said, Ripley would avoid at all costs going back to fetch. She had to go to the aliens. She, Machiko seems to be the opposite way. She It's like she avoids at all costs going back to the boardroom. Yeah. And she could have probably got one hell of a promotion. Oh, she'd have got fired. Well, she she blew up the colony. She'd have been yeah, fired. Yeah, it, it was it was unsalvageable at that point. But she's got a fucking alien queen head that she's hidden away. She could sell that for untold cash. So <laughs> she could set herself up for life. If I remember rightly, it does mention um, buying out her contract in the epilogue with the company Chigusa not wanting anything to do with her. Hmm. Just for clarity's sake, I was playing devil's advocate there and just wanted yeah, you guys yeah. to talk about I don't think she's a carbon copy of Ripley at all. That moment at the end when she decides to join up with the Predators is fucking is a badass moment. And yeah, Ripley would never make that decision. She knows she's got a chance of being killed, but this time she's going to do it with those around where, where she has a fighting chance. It, it's It's not suicide exactly, but it's the only way she feels that's where her life needs to head. Whereas with Ripley, it was a complete 180. It, it ties in very nicely with the narration from the start as well, from the prologue, yeah. where, um, you know, Tom and 
Scotty? Scott, yeah, Tom, yeah. Tom and Scott. Uh, you know, we're talking about going back to basics. You know, um, mankind relies too much on its technology and how they could do with just, you know, throwing it all away and just going back to, um, you know, man uh, in the broadest sense yeah. of the term, uh, besting nature kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, a- Alien is often... It's not about a thrill, but it's about feeling alive. Yeah. I was going to say a uh, little tangent here, but do you feel like some of the other female protagonists that we've seen in the films, such as Alexa Woods or Daniels or um, sure, I think Shaw. I, I think I said Numi Rapace earlier when I went through the list, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> do you think they would be closer to like Ripley knockoffs? They are Ripley knockoffs, especially Daniels. Yeah, I I would agree. Maybe yeah. maybe not Alexa Woods. I think Alexa Woods had enough distinguishing character characteristics, but Lex, I know you guys think, don't even. Well, Lex want... was a cross between Machiko and Ripley in a way. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. The the team up then. The team up is, I guess, a staple of the um, of the concept of the AVP concept to the the point where you knew it was going to be in the film. You knew when it was adapted, it was going to be included. I personally don't like how it was handled in the film, but I like how it was handled in the comic because it 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 felt earned in the comics. It it felt mm. um, like there was respect on both sides. It wasn't in Briggs' script, though, was it? I can't remember if I'm being honest. I don't with think you. it was. I don't think he had a team up in his. But we did in the one we got. You know, I think everybody expected it. Um, but how did you guys feel about how it was handled in the comic then? Did it feel natural? Did it feel earned? Did it did it not make you roll your eyes? Yeah. No, I, I never had a problem with it, especially considering the um the fact that uh, Broken Tusk was essentially treated in this medical facility and, and he was kind of observing the humans and he could tell like this this doctor, what what was her name again? Uh, Revna, Doctor Revna, that she was she was just genuinely curious and and cared for his well being, so I don't think he really felt under threat, and he felt like you know they they weren't there to hunt humans, and so when the another one of his young bloods was coming in trying to kill everyone, he was like, well, these people have been helping me, I'm I'm obviously going to defend them, so. Um, and then it was just kind of the necessity of the situation after that. There was an alien outbreak and they they just their only chance of survival was was to work together. So I I don't have a problem with that that concept. I know a lot of fans are iffy about it. I've never had had issue with that concept. I think you have two intelligent species. And even if one makes a habit of hunting the other, obviously different clans are going to have different policies and or codes when it comes to dealing with other species. So uh, it it's honestly more of an interesting factor to me, you know, going to the, the Predator movie, we missed out on that because it was cut. And I think they were scared of of the fan reaction uh, to some of those leaked images. But but I honestly miss seeing that because I think even in the, even in the movies in AVP and to some extent Predators, which it wasn't really a full team up, it was just kind of a. Uh, agreement out of necessity i think it's been handled fine i've, I've never I, I know see some people will whinge about the slow motion running with the explosion behind them yeah that's one thing you can point to but but aside from that i really have never seen an issue with that concept and how it's been handled in in any of the media to be honest personally i feel like she looks into it i feel like lex looks into it you know she didn't earn the kill as far as i'm concerned she didn't earn scars respect as far as i'm concerned because the alien oh no but but and i don't think it was about that i think he was giving her the opportunity to i think he saw that she grabbed a weapon and killed an alien and that fact alone made her 
made him curious and he was like okay well let's see how long she lasts which is why he just cut up the alien and and gave her those weapons it was more so he was curious as to what she was capable of it is it was almost like giving a child a means to protect itself i can't say i got that reading from it at all but that's fair enough if that's how you guys feel um xenomorph how, how do you feel about it in the comic though does it work I think the big difference in the comic, because a lot of the time it can come across like, oh, you're a predator. Boom, we're friends now. In this comic, the the key difference is it doesn't happen. I mean, even like in the AVP film, there was that thing. But I mean, within the space of what, five, ten minutes, they they were like, OK, let's have a truce in this. It protects the doctor because it realizes the doctor has been providing it aid machiko is you know she recognizes at that point one predator is trying to kill the doctor the other isn't so she's you know she she even says like don't even think about getting out one warning i'll blow off your head and if she is clearly prepared to kill broken tusk if he puts a false move in but so long as he's not a danger to them she's more concerned with the big threat which is the aliens there's they then separate and then it's the doctor who recognizes that predator because i guess that alien face on the chest thing and she says oh that's my patient machiko doesn't want to rescue him but the doctor insists so it's the doctor that causes machiko to so she's like begrudgingly goes to rescue broken tusk that works, and then the next time she sees the predator, it's carrying the doctor's body in a not reverential way, but you know it understands that's a dead body. It's treating it like not just another cadaver. So I think that helps to sell Machiko on. Okay, this could be a potential ally, and then the next phase in that respect is that it helps them against some aliens. But then it's the Scott and Tom chestburster things it kills the chestburster and you know it's there for that moment and i think emotionally that that helps to sell that progression and it hands machiko a, a weapon as well a gun and i think those things help it's not just a they're friends it's a begrudging thing i'm not going to kill you okay you're i'm you're helping us you now help me in this emotional moment okay, I, I can deal with you. You're willing to tag along with me. You're only killing aliens anyway. Let's go for it. And then, obviously, you know, they, they save one another's lives throughout that climax in the spaceship. So for me, when you have that progression, it's not just like, yeah, we're going to be buddy pals. It's it's It feels way more natural in this particular story for Machiko to begrudgingly... And then she's accepting, and then it's like, they are those little key moments, and they feel they, the comic sells them as things that you could believe it doing. And it's not like you know it's giving a translation of what its true feelings are. Sometimes it, it you know it does the mimicry, but you get to that point by right at the end when the predator is dying and it's you know it bloods her that you feel it's you could believe two actors playing that on screen it doesn't come across as too fast if anything it's a lot slower than these kind of stories tend to realize that so for me this particular one it was the first time we saw it i think but it was also one of the few times i say it's been done well 
Yeah, completely agree there. You mentioned some very specific moments that I think are, are more standout sort of panels in terms of the artwork, you know, Broken Tusk coming through the flames holding Dr. Rebner's body and yeah. um, Broken Tusk when he's climbing up that mast and all the aliens are sort of swarming him and attacking him. Those are phenomenal yeah. moments in the art and just imagine how awesome they would have looked on the screen. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, Machiko does not want to rescue it. She She's saying mm-hmm. no, but she does it as a sort of a courtesy to her friend because her friend has been saved by this thing. That's what makes it, because it's not this one character going, oh, damn it, I'm go- I better go and save it. She's sort of almost coerced emotionally into going through with it. And you have a nice action sequence, but it's one of those moments where upon rereads, you go, oh, yeah, I can see how that played into the... So it's one of those things that helps you keep coming back to the story. You you also mentioned the blooding, which mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess is a big part of the motivation and a big part of the setup for this entire story. And Randy Stradley said that it was with them deciding that the Predators were going around seeding aliens on planets and hunting them as a... Um, a coming-of-age ritual that really set the story sort of in motion in terms of them developing it and figuring out what to do. And that is a core part of sort of like the Predator law from the EU is, is this concept of it being their their manhood ritual is going out and beasting a couple of aliens or attempting to beast a couple of aliens. <laughs> how do we feel about the aliens' treatment in, in, this, um, in this run? How do we feel about the, the concept of them having a queen chained up and using her as a... Um, you know, a breeder, a farm. It was um, a really cool thing to see. And that concept has been used in, in the expanded media going forward in, in the games, as well as the film. So that that was something cool to see. And it, it just made logical sense that if, if predators wanted to hunt aliens, but they wanted some control over the number they were hunting without having to hunt these big hives or have outbreaks... Uh, then they would do that. And and that was one thing I was kind of confused about at the beginning. You see this device that's kind of uh, scanning the eggs and grabbing the, the queen face huggers and, and destroying those eggs. But the queen somehow like what tricks the device and gets a queen egg. Onto uh, she the... uses her over. It doesn't. You have to look at it a few times to understand it. She looks back at the machine and she uses her overpositor and she pushes the machine to one side so it thinks it's grabbing the right oh, see after all these years you never knew i never yeah. guessed that yeah. <laughs> you can see she, she uses it almost as like a sucker like hand to push the arms of the machine to one side so it's her way of going fuck you i'm getting a queen somewhere because so <laughs> you the next scene you the next panel, I think you see the queen's face, and then the nar- narrative is, "Don't mess around with Mother Nature; she can be yeah, a bitch." Yeah. So it's it's her giving the predators the fit finger. She, you know, I'm chained up. I'm going to do something. So you you feel like they were treated fine. You feel, you didn't feel like it was um, detrimental towards towards the aliens. Then no, I don't think so. Are you t- are you talking about how the aliens are perceived as too weak, being captive or something? Or yeah, I suppose in the matchup with the predators, you know, it, it's always lower number predators and higher number aliens. Um, I'm just curious as to as to your pair's thoughts on on how it's you know how how that matchup and how that treatment is presented in this in this particular run. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with it personally. Uh, me, I especially when you look at the first part where you see a you know a completely different world. It's like a jungle place, and you see this 
party of predators and you see how they typically go up against a queenless group of aliens. Once I'd read that and I go back and reread it, to me, yeah, I think it should have been a lot closer. Because to me, an AVP story, it needs to reflect that thing about why do predators see this as the single most ferocious threat they can go up against. I think it, as a, once they've used up their ranged ability, I think you need to see a lot more a even fight. up. Between. Yeah. yeah, it needs to. We need to see an alien being able to stand equal chance against a predator at close range if not possibly slightly more because that's it's you're on its home turf when you're up against claws and tail and that as a predator it needs to be a lot more equal and of course since alien resurrection we know they've got genetic memories so the predators have to individually learn but the alien has memories of every single generation before it so i think that could be played around more so i think if this that's one of the few things i say that if this was adapted to a film i'd like to see the aliens being much more of a threat to the predators because otherwise it's almost a foregone conclusion in terms of the queen being held captive i've got no problem with that because that's you know you're going to be able to do it somehow i've got no problem with predators being able to do that or humans if need be. Uh, and when we see it at the start of war yeah. as well which is a really yeah. awesome prologue for for that yeah. series yeah it, it, that's the sequel to this one right uh, war was yes yeah I, I loved the first part of that and the rest went a bit weird for me um but i will quickly say about the blooding in the film a lot of people some people had pro- including the actress had problem with how calm Lex seemed to be with the acid on being drawn into that symbol on her forehead. I will say that in the comic... That's a cheek in the film, I think, actually. It's... Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's cheek. In the comic, you have Machiko not knowing what the hell's about to happen. It grabs a finger of the Queen and it snaps it off. And you see Machiko's expression. She's like, what the hell is going on here? And if the broken touch, she grabs her in and almost forces it on her. So I think in the comic... It, the blooding is actually better because it's like a, a complete surprise to Mastrico. She doesn't realise that's about to happen. So um, anybody who's not read the comic and were complaining about that in the film, it, the comic sells that a bit better, I think. But yeah, in terms of the the alien to predator quota of deaths type thing... Yeah, I think it need. I'm not saying, you know, it needs to be exactly 50-50, but I think there definitely needed to be more of an evening of the odds because, like, on that first confrontation, I think it's maybe... I think there's one predator that's dead, and they're all... Every single predator there is inexperienced against aliens. They all go out there to get their first confrontation. One of them's dead compared to, like, seven or or 10 or something aliens all lying in the water at the end of it things like that i don't like because to me i think well they might as well consider humans the most dangerous thing or a crocodile the most there has to be something where the aliens are that much faster or they've got the strength of a hydraulic press something that the predator it would give the predators the shit to go you're up against that and they go can't I go up against a dinosaur or something? It's easier, man. <laughs> it has to be something where they know if they're up against them, they have a 
big chance of falling and not surviving, much less coming out of it on top. So for me, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more. The, it doesn't take a group of aliens to take one predator down. It can be one single alien, or it can be one alien against, and it wins against two predators, like it did in the film. It needs to be something like that for me. I I agree with with um, your assessment there. I know I know I tend to get a little bit stick over this, but I do think it was balanced quite well in AV in the film. Yeah, I do think the balance was handled quite well. You know, Scar owns the aliens at range. Which is how it should be, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Grid owns um, Chopper because it's utilising its stealth, it's utilising its tail. Yes, granted, it's a magic long yeah. tail. Yeah, the beginning, yeah. But, you know, that's how it does it. And it's it's a... Yeah, it looks a bit like wrestling. It could have been choreographed better, but, you know... Definitely, yeah. The scrap between between Grid and Celtic, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't literally a case of a panel where it shows its claws into... Um, Celtic shoves its um, wrist blades into uh, Grid's face, and that's it. You know, it's it's hard for. And in in fact, yeah, I think if you had a fight like that, I'd like to see a fight like that where both of them do sort of like impale one another and you know make clear wounds before it's over. Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't have mind if we'd seen you know. Was it uh, whichever one died at the end? Sort of shove its wrist blades in, and you know it hurts the aliens, but it's not going to kill it. Or and you have the alien sort of penetrate it with a tail. It doesn't kill the predator, but both of them are worse for it. But it makes them redouble their, you know, their their intent to kill mm. this other thing because mm. then you're setting it up against something that is hard to kill. And you know what predators look. Something that's hard to kill because it makes their victory that much more of a, you know, uh, I did this moment. Yeah, so completely. I, I would agree. like to see an and more of an evening up with the predator and alien deaths, and even something where maybe one of them has to evade for a while, like you did in the first Predator movie. It didn't go after Dutch after Dutch after Dutch. It it went away and it tried to lure Dutch into a trap. You know, predators and aliens, they're not necessarily single-minded. They've got intelligence. I like to see them sort of luring one another into traps and things, things that make it not a wrestling match, not Mm -hmm. a one stab and it's over. If you cut off its head, yeah, okay, but it's still going to have acid to deal with, things like that. Yeah, the fights in here, they were satisfying. When you look at a fight in here, it's satisfying to look at. I'd have just liked the odds to even up more in terms of the outcomes. Yeah, I, I'm with. I'm on the same wavelength as you. I'm on the same page. Ah, page comic. Ah. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm actually out of talking points for this. There is one thing I just want to mention, just to see if any of you guys actually picked up on this, because I didn't notice it until this last uh, this last reread actually. Um, but do you guys have anything specific else that you want to bring up in terms of? Um, terms of the first run not on the comic itself just mainly what it inspired after i mean did you want to go into the novel prey at all aaron and your thoughts on that overall as an adaptation no more than really what we've talked about so far now i, th- I think Prey's a um another episode in its own right if i'm being honest gotcha and how about the the film do you think the film at least in some sense was kind of an adaptation of this i would never describe it as an adaptation of this run no Yes, there's. I mean, there there were a lot of similarities, even how Scar died at the end. Both predators were killed by the Queen Tail and blooded her before the end. And there's definite 
similarities, yes, and there, there's definitely... Um, I don't want to say copying of of the comic, but you know, like things that have have become associated as like core tenants of the um, you know of the crossover concept. So the things like the blood in and the things like the team up and the seeding and that kind of thing. I just think now that when you think of AVP, you don't necessarily think of the run; you think of the concept. Would I be fair in saying that? Would Would you guys agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it depends what generation you go, because a lot of people associate it automatically with the films, um, whereas other people who are different generations they might associate it with the comics, or they might associate it with like with you with the games more than the comics. Maybe I, I think it's a generational thing. Even then, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say when the film came out that you know I. I would have associated it more with the games. I did. I did see these before the. I did read the comics before seeing the films. Mm. After all, so I would have been younger than fourteen, fifteen, actually. But yeah, I suppose now we're at a point where people would maybe know the films better. But at the time of the film coming out, you know, I would think those um, particular story elements, those those beats, those um, you know, were AVP as a series rather than AVP as this story this one particular story yeah and i will say the movie was was not a straight adaptation my point was just there was obvious story beats that were adapted from the comic there were definite similarities yeah okay and what about you then xenomorphin any last um any last thoughts any particular things you want to bring up before i uh, ask you this last question i i would have liked to see more inclusion of like their shoulder cannons and stuff different equipment on oh, different... but didn't you like the burners didn't you like the guns to me that human? was a step that was a step back because it was like it was a thing they had to use both their hands on whereas to me i felt the whole point of the shoulder cannons is they got hands free and they can use them for blades and stuff but that's purely you know an aesthetic thing with the predators um in the film of course we did get that we got different predators had their own unique stuff which i liked um but yeah the first this first one this and that um, the prologue part where they capture the queen in the sequel. If they collected that part with this, that would be the single best AVP realization there's been so far. To me, this is the best so far. And I think if there's any more like it, I, I would like, because this is another thing about it, it doesn't deal with colonial marines or it's like Ridge Top said earlier on. These are ranchers. They're essentially Wild West pioneers. These feel like ordinary people caught up in some bad shit, which is what made Alien work, what made, you know, the people who like Alien 3, they often remark about what part of what they like about Alien 3 was these were just prisoners. They didn't have guns. This is a similar kind of thing. These are very relatable as a situation. These aren't superheroes. They're not soldiers. They're just ordinary people caught up in the midst of things. And I think that sort of a formula, I would like that to be readapted, have people go back to this and use this for inspiration. Yeah, it, it's one of my favourites. It does have its flaws, but they are few and far between. This this story I love. Um, and and uh, Rich Tub, you, you said you preferred Eternal? Yeah, I mean, I, that's just one of my my personal favorites. But uh, this is this is up there for me. It's it's one of my favorite AVP comics, and um, I'd I'd love to see it uh, again. I know I've repeated this point to death, but I'd love to see it re released or remastered or remade um, because I think the story is great. 
And um, the, the Machiko character is very interesting. And she, she had staying power through multiple comics and iterations after, after this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. If by some chance, um, I would assume if you're listening to this, you've probably read it, but if by some chance you haven't definitely check it out. I would definitely hold this as one of my favorite um, stories from all three of the, um, the series is actually, would I prefer Eternal? I think Eternal has better color work, but no, I, I think I'd, I think I'd, I'd hold this as my favorite AVP as well, actually. And I like a lot of the shorts as well. The, the crossover shorts. Oh, I forgot to mention another short that was um, connected to this. The boy who survives uh, when his family gets slaughtered, he shows up in a in another short called The Web, I think. Hmm. Oh, nice. It's, he's ended up becoming like a multi-billionaire industrialist somehow. <laughs> wow. The Web. Yes. I can't remember that one. It's, it's a black and white one at the back of volume one um, of the omnibus. Yeah, he basically sets up traps to lure the predators in. And just get some mold to fuck by his um, his own little personal stock of aliens. Damn, and that that kind of goes to what you were saying before, uh, Xenomorphin, with the mature tone of this comic. It did have some brutal moments, like the the That's kids the kids' mom was sliced up by a predator right in front of him, and and he had to uh, yeah. escape on a hover bike. And yeah, there was some, especially for comics at the time, there were some especially brutal, especially mature scenes. So definitely, and this one. You know, this this was the one Alien had done Dark Horse well, but Alien vs Predator was the one that sort of exploded for them. Um, I think it sold like half a million copies, which is good. It was good for the time, but it's also good for now. Actually, I think that's better than um, generally the highest selling um, singles um, yeah. these days. So you know, it, it did a good job at getting Dark Horse on the map, and I'm glad it did because I could not imagine Alien and Predator and Alien vs Predator um, without Dark Horse. Oh, I agree. I would not be the fan I am now to the same extent I am now, if not for the literature aspects, uh, mainly the comics, but also the novels as well, which Dark Horse did publish for a number of years before Titan took it over. Yeah, they had originally all the adaptations were done by Bantam, I think, and Millennium republished them in the UK, or it was the other way around. I can't remember which way. But then, yeah, Dark Horse had a stint of... um, four or five years putting out original the first original alien and predator novels although i guess technically hunter's planet was the first original but yeah those were the yeah you know what i was saying um, but yeah, anyway the thing i wanted to know if you guys had noticed was so the lead predator in this series in the comic he's known as broken tusk in the um the novelization he is um Deshande. Deshande which I think translates to like Brave <laughs> Knife or something like that. But yeah, in the comics, he's Broken Tusk. I thought you were going to say Librarian. <laughs> <laughs> strange, strange Knife, yeah, that's what I think it is. In the, in the description, in, in the, uh, you know, the, the thought bubble, thought boxes, whatever, Machiko describes him as the Broken Tusked Warrior. She never sees him without his mask on. When, when they're in the, um, when he's all up in the med lab, he's got the face mask over his mandibles. She, I mean, she does at the end. Yeah. She's describing him as the broken tusk before that. Oh, uh, yeah. It might just be a little inconsistency. Another one I noticed was um, in the sparring session between broken tusk and top knot. When you see top knot get thrown against the wall, he has a broken tusk, which doesn't appear later. So that must have been mixed there. I'm just having a flick to that one because I hadn't noticed that one. Yeah, let's see what it's on. Yeah, it's right. It's right when Broken Tusk throws him against the wall. He's being helped up, and you can tell it's him because he's the one with the little symbol on his chest. 
and he has a broken tusk when later he doesn't. So I would assume that just the face of Broken Tusk and his got confused somewhere. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, there are no yeah, references I, I had not noticed Broken that. Tusk in the comic, just the novel. No, um, just Michiko in, in the, the triangular thought um, boxes is describing him as the Broken Tusk warrior when she's comparing his skill to that of the, um, the young blood that she saw get slaughtered. Oh. Oh, hang on, yeah. Got to look for it now. So it'd be oh, the bits we were talking about earlier. With the... Yeah, 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 I see it. Well, it could have been that she might have looked at this one earlier on in the in the story because they brought the corpse in. She might have... Well, she she didn't see it until look. it was already strapped up. Yeah, yeah, but, the, but then there are, are parts where they just see... Because she sees the corpse and then they the whole town is like yeah we got to get the defenses ready and then it sort of skips over a few hours where they've got the town ready but they're saying like little did we know it was already in our midst so she might have looked under there or seen a photograph or something they took there's a possible off-panel moment when he mm. puts his mask on that she might have seen it there yeah but she could have asked, she could have looked in a medical thing, but because it skips over a few hours, Maybe. we don't know what happened. But if she did, it was off panel. Mm. But yeah, that was just something I noticed that I thought was interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um. So yeah, are we are we good? Good man. Okay, we're cool. good. So uh, we haven't posted this because there's been no official announcement or anything, but it does look like a a new AVP run is coming next year. Um, Randy Stradley is not writing it. He is. Uh, editing it as far as i can tell uh, but he handles most of the alien and predator editing these days i'm just having a look now um so i get the right names uh, but it was uh randy did did confirm on on twitter that it was happening um somebody called jeremy barlow will be writing this new run he's mostly done star wars stuff from what i can see so he i think he worked with dark horse back in the day when they had the star wars property and is doing them with marvel now and the artist, which is something that I'm really excited about, is Doug Wheatley. And Doug Wheatley uh, did the interior artwork for Aliens Apocalypse Destroying Angels, which is one of my top five um, series. Oh. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about, about that series. Okay, so as I did on our Defiance podcast, um, I just want to read a couple of uh, emails that we've had and open these well only really one's open for discussion but the other one's just a nice comment you pair will have seen these in the chat because i've already posted them to us um but the just because it you know it makes me feel warm and fuzzy i just want to read them out for everybody else um so and you know i acknowledge that we do read what you send us like i say it does make us feel warm and fuzzy and so this first one is from carl roberts he's he's emailed in a few times um, and he emailed in to say that I just recently listened to the Predator movie review podcast and found it really interesting and fascinating to listen to. Personally, really enjoyed the Predator movie, but it wasn't perfect. I had my own faults with the movie. Uh, it was looking forward to listening to the Alien Defiance one, so this would have been before I posted that. Oh, no. Now we sent this after. Um, I look forward to listening to the Alien Defiance podcast really soon, too, as I've only just finished reading that comic. I'm looking forward to your future podcast that you mentioned, the Life and Death podcast, um, this one, the AVP comic podcast, and this should be great podcast to listen to. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Again, keep up the good work. I really enjoy listening to great podcasts that showcase all the passion for the Alien and Predator franchises. 
And on a side note, it's just letting us know that he's also working on his fan art and would we uh, showcase it? You send it across when you're done, buddy. I'm sure we can uh, we could probably give you some exposure. Um, I'm very into um, showcasing community uh, efforts, fan arts, uh, fan games, uh, fan comics, stuff like that. It's It's been a while since we've really had a f- um, any fan comics. There's a, there's a couple I'm watching on Facebook, Alien ones, though, um, Asher's Story, uh, which looks great, and a new mm. Alien one that's a prequely sort of thing and I cannot for the life of me remember its name currently I was talking to the guy behind it and he seems like a really cool bloke but yeah those um, those will be sharing um, on the socials and uh, maybe on the website as well Has there been any news about those fan films yet? I don't think there has been have there? Yeah, what the the competition ones? Yeah because the, the winners were announced but we don't know what's I, I know I've seen some posts on Twitter I think one of them said that they wrapped so I would assume most are probably in post-production, and I would imagine they'll they'll be coming out around Alien Day of 2019. If you check out the um, what was the company um, that was running the competition, um, I can't I can't remember. But basically, the website with like all the, the the information, it tells you a timeline of where everybody is. So if you check out our original post of that, you can see where these guys are supposed to be in the production process. Uh, and and Carl just ended it with. Um, Thanks again for the great work and keep up the great work on both the podcast and the website. So, yeah, thanks, Carl. Um, we appreciate that. Always send these comments over to the other guys um, just to let them know that we aren't wasting our time for um, two hours recording and all the hours rereading and researching and looking at, you know, um, articles and, <laughs> and interviews and stuff. Always good to hear. Now, the second one might generate a little bit of talk. I think, Ridgetop, you had a little moan about this in the, um, the chat, actually. But I don't want to get into it too much, but I will just open it up a little bit just so we can have a listen. The second one is from a fellow called, I assume it's a fellow, um, apologies if uh, you're a lass, um, Kradan is Ukrainian, or she's Ukrainian. Anyway, she said, um, they say, firstly, I'd just like to say how much I appreciate your work on uh, AVP Galaxy. I think uh, this will be enough for you to know that I developed... Uh, my English skills listening to your podcasts. Uh, I'm Yay. sorry. I'm I'm sorry about that, buddy. You know <laughs> we're educational. <laughs> so he succeeded in his exams. Actually, that's cool. Honestly, for me, podcasts are the best part of uh, the website. Um, make it with the most possible frequency, please. You know what? I'd love I'd love to crank them out like once a week, but I don't think we'd really got the um, the spare time for all the research and all the editing and stuff like that. You know, you get twice a month sometimes. We take ideas. If any of you guys have a certain subject you'd like us to talk about, we're open to suggestions. Indeed. I always like to hear folks' um, ideas for these things because um, we don't want to be doing the same stuff over and boring folk. Um, he, he continues, um, I want to write something about the current state of the fandom. Uh, these thoughts were inspired by fan reactions to the latest movies in the, the latest movie in the franchise, The Predator. I cannot describe um, how t- tired I am from comments like um, Shane Black killed the franchise or worst Predator movie ever made. Um, maybe because I really enjoyed the film, but I hate to rank movies in you never know what I prefer most. I mean, fans nowadays really don't give movies even the smallest chance. Everyone wants to feel himself a critic. Everyone wants to share uh, their own so negative opinion. Uh, it seems that people enjoy more shitting on movies than just watching the movies. This is a fair point, actually. So what I see, fans cannot exactly say what they want. 
or what they're looking for in these films. If you try to add some new elements, fans will complain that it's not a movie that closely matches the original, that it's too different from the original. But if you try to um, do something like the original, fans will say that it's badly repeating it, or even that it's a parody. So you never know how to please fans. <laughs> that is... I know I know you, you, you disagreed with him a, a bit here, Ridgetop. But yeah, that last comment about fans not knowing what they want is completely right. But I just, I just wanted to open that up a little bit. Don't don't want to go in too much um, into it too much, but just to you know put across any comments you had about that kind of thought. You know, are are fans just wanting to neg? Can't they be pleased? I mean, to to some extent, perhaps. I mean, you look at any any big. First of all, I just want to say I appreciate the shout out. You know, it's always great to hear from from our listeners to to at least know some someone's listening to our podcast. So yeah, we we're always glad to to hear any feedback from what we do here, uh, suggestions or critiques or or whatever. You know, we're we're glad to touch base with our listeners. We're we're. Uh, just as into this fan community as is anyone who who's probably listening to this, and so we we love to have those those dialogues. So thank you for that. But as yeah, as far as is what you were saying about uh, fans and and critics harming, what, how would I put this? Like harming the um, what what would you say? Harming the I don't know how would how would you word this, Aaron? Like is, is he trying to say that? fans and critics whinging hurt our chances of getting more films or like people are just haters or i I think it's more on the haters side of things um because sometimes sometimes you get that i mean you have a lot of big franchises that try new things like star trek a lot of people are upset with the new star trek uh, the new star trek series discovery uh star wars films there's a lot of fan division with those right now and so you see it a lot and i wonder if it's just kind of a sign of the times like uh, the nature of the internet how everyone's online now is going to lead to some some intense divisions on um everything really but uh, i think yes i think some fans can be unfairly critical and and not receptive to new things uh, going all the way back to the second alien movie you know a lot of fans were critical of aliens because they thought it turned the aliens into the bugs from Starship Troopers and not this spooky thing lurking in the dark. But I, I think usually those criticisms are not just people hating to hate. I mean, sure, yeah, you have trolls out there. But it's become a real peeve of mine, especially these last two years, because I was I was really disappointed with both The Predator and with Alien Covenant. And I did see a lot of fan division with both those films, and you would hear the same repeating things like, oh, you're not a real fan because you like the movie or you dislike the movie, and oh, you're just a hater, you can never be pleased. It's like, no, there's there's people who were legitimately let down by these movies for a multitude of reasons beyond just they weren't what, what they wanted as far as the narrative goes. And people want to express how they felt about the movies. I mean, they obviously care about these franchises, otherwise they wouldn't feel like they need to express that like me being as disappointed as i was i I still am a huge fan i still love predator and aliens and and avp and i'm still excited for things coming out in in the expanded universe and i still want to see more films so yeah and and yeah sometimes when you're particularly disappointed with a film it is kind of easy to fall into the trap of just focusing on the negative and hating on it because you want to jump jump on the criticism train because you like I don't know. Like it, for me personally, I did not want to see the prequels continue. I don't know if they will or not. So 
to kind of jump in on on all the criticism you have of the prequels to some extent you're like well i hope they hear us i hope they hear like this and and another prequel is not made but then again you have all these people that like the prequels and they're just as much fans as as i am as people who didn't like the prequels so again i you have to kind of see it from both perspectives you can't dismiss people who are critical about these things that have been important franchises to them as just haters, because I think the majority of the time they're not the majority of the time they, they just feel let down for me. Sometimes it, it seems like I know it's not, but it seems like it would be so easy to just be like, here's a good alien movie like alien isolation. Did it, they made it look easy. I know it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't, but it's just like, here's a good story that'll please fans. I know sometimes you want to kind of push boundaries a bit and get outside of that fan expectation box, but I'm, I'm just rambling here. I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> but, but it's just like, yes, people will like things and they will dislike things and we should have dialogues and stuff and we should be yeah. civil about those and we shouldn't dismiss each other's opinion. Like I, if people like the prequels and want to defend them, I want to hear that. I may not necessarily agree with their logic uh, or their arguments, but I'm not going to be like, you're not a real fan. You know, you're not old school like me. Like I'm, that's just, it's not productive to anybody. So perfectly said. There can be mindless negativity. There can also be mindless cheerleading. The internet unfortunately has a way of amplifying mindlessness. Yeah. They're the extremes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say there isn't valid criticism or valid appreciation. I think every quite, everyone can, there's an Eastern European proverb. I think it helps everyone on the internet that if you see mindlessness happening, whether of whatever stripe, just turn away and repeat, not my circus, not my monkeys. And just <laughs> go on to something else. Don't let mindlessness influence your life. If you feel that anger burning or that passion rising, I must reply to this. Maybe don't. Go away for five minutes, do something else, come back to it, and you think, you know what, it's just a person on the internet. That's all you need to do. Your love or your dislike of something is still valid to you. Your indifference to something is still perfectly valid to you. Learn from others if you can, and if you can't, go away. You know, do something better with your time. Don't let them waste your time for you. That's all you have to keep in mind. Well said, guys. Well said, both of you. But again, thank you for writing in. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And hopefully what Rich Top and Xenomorphin has said is of, of use to you. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, stop on, on what you said there. It's a valid point. There are people that, that are on the Internet just to hate, just to hate. But I've also had my criticisms of the films uh, disregarded so as you're just being a hater, you know, yeah. because you're not a real fan. And that's frustrating and a peeve of mine. I, I, so. it, it's the tribalism, which is not constructive now. People are sort of going into their own little niche groups and saying, like you said, oh, you're not a fan. You're not a fan because you don't spend as much money as I do or whatever or you're not a fan because you don't like this or I do no, that's all bullshit just just let that bullshit ride out because it's invalid your, your own views of something are perfectly valid so long as you're willing to learn from constructive criticism that's all we need to do but let, let's we all need to move away from this tribal way of fandom because that way lies toxicity but you know there's also valid criticism. 
Just don't do it with nastiness, that's all. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you. Again, if people want to write in any comments, you know, just praise to tickle us or criticism to um, improve us, then the address is uh, podcast at evpgalaxy.net. Thank you for everybody who has written in. Keep them coming, guys. And keep posting um, keep posting comments on the posts um, and on the, the socials and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that. And this is it for 2018. Um, in terms of podcast release, anyway. Um, I don't know when I'm booking this one in, but this will probably be early December because I am fucking off to Tokyo for um, Christmas and New Year's. So uh, I will not be covering anything at that end of the month. So 2018, guys. Not been the greatest year, but it's been done. And hopefully what we've got coming up uh, next year with all the sort of isolation focus thing, I, I can see Zero and Morphin just sat there, you know, not not so interested. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you like the art stuff, don't you? Uh, I, but, I, there are just certain aspects that don't work for me, that's all. But we'll, we'll, be, seeing, we'll be seeing the novel, um, we'll be seeing the comic sequel, we'll have uh, Aliens Echoes. The fan films. Oh, I don't like calling them fan films. Um, well, fan productions, oh. I don't know. Like, the shorts, the, the the short films, Predator Hunters two should be finishing next year because it keeps being pushed back. Unfortunately, we haven't heard any new news about any other Predator stuff. From what I understand, there's some nervousness with the EU to continue because of how poor the Predator performed. Um, hopefully, that turns around and, and we'll see some more stuff announced. And we've got the AVP new comic to look forward to as well. So hopefully, 2019 will be a kick-ass year. Uh, we did have the Cold Forge this year. We did have some good comics, so it wasn't it wasn't all down uh, downhill. And we'll have 2019 Alien Day to look forward to. Indeed, there'll be an un- inevitable deluge of pleasurable things for us to assimilate and talk about and hopefully because it'll be the 40th anniversary of alien yes yeah they should they should have some juicy stuff because of that hopefully we're planning a few things we'll have to see if we actually do them because you know it's hard work getting these guys to do anything listeners you know Right in, give him a poke, give him a poke. <laughs> you didn't want to go through with my naked calendar idea, damn it. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you want that kind of stuff, follow me personally on Twitter oh, at yeah. underscore Corporal Hicks. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks thanks for listening, guys. Um, as always, um, be sure to follow us on the various outlets. Um, the website's avpgalaxy.net. Check out the forum, sign up, get involved. Twitter is just at AVP Galaxy and Facebook and Instagram are Alien vs Predator Galaxy. And we do have a YouTube channel as well, which is Alien vs Predator Galaxy. It's not massively active at the minute, but we are working behind the scenes to get stuff written, get stuff ready. So we'll just bombard you and um, keep it all constant rather than bitten and bobbing. Hopefully we'll be able to make something of that. And um, hopefully Article 13 doesn't kill all my social channels and uh, interacting with everybody mm. online. So we'll see how that goes as well, which would be massively unfortunate. Where can folk find you um, if they want to stalk you personally, individually? It's RidgeTop21 for me on Twitter or and Instagram, if you're interested. And I'm on Sentinalysis at DeviantArt, and the exact spelling is um, on linked to my forum profile if nobody knows how to get that. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, you pair for everything that you guys do. You know, joining in on the podcast and, and helping out on the website and everything. Um, and I know I like to give everybody stick, but seriously, thank you. Oh, well, thanks. It's okay. <laughs> this has been Corporal Hicks and Ridge Up Xenomorphine signing off. <laughs>